inside my head Lay down with me Tell me no lies Just hold me close Don't patronize Don't patronize
with you gentlemen in the audience about this song. I told you I would sing this song to you, never for you. Now I admit that in the past I, oh I led, led you to believe that if ever I were to find myself in this situation, I would make this serious effort to conduct myself to the man of this song. So just however I lied. No, I don't play this. I do not play this. But I do care about you, and because I care, I would like to just suggest merely that those of you gentlemen the audience who see fit choose to insist on being indiscreet, you really ought to do yourself a favor and have the kind of female at home who can handle all that. And I'm talking lady in cap, sweet lady, nice lady, kind, patient. Patient, tolerant, considerate, and understanding. On the real side, I'm... Well, you need someone who is relatively naive and basically stupid. You need all that if you really expect to hear. You're so late getting home from the office. You see? Now, I am supposed to say, darling,
Welcome to Leaky Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, December 14th, 2018. Thanks so much for listening in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, California. We're on Ohlone land. Uh, grateful to be here today to provide some news and current events. And uh, I'll provide a trigger warning before we get started with the news stories because a lot of what's happening in the world is deeply disturbing and sad. Isn't this a great plug for the show? Don't you just want to continue listening in and also check out our archives that go back to 2013 when things were still also extremely difficult. Okay, so that's what the show's about. And we'll be going over some new stories. And we also thankfully have some great music to cleanse the palate. And we'll be playing some music from Nancy Wilson, who uh, sadly passed away last night. And I am somewhat familiar with her music and wanted to learn more. So that's what we'll be doing today on the show. And... So celebrating music. And one thing I tried to remember is that there was a lot of folks doing a lot of really important and good work and creating art and beautiful things. So even though there's people in positions of power who are looking to destroy the planet and humanity, there's also the flip side of that and the folks who look to create and make things beautiful. There we go. Wrapped it up in a nice little bow. So we will get started with some news stories in a little bit. I'm going to take my time getting started today, though, because there's more and more news that, that's coming out. There's always a lot, and this program is only about two hours. Of course, we can get only scratch the surface, and also there's only the news that actually gets out. There's a lot of things that are happening that we might not find out about until afterwards, and so wanting to also comment on that as well. I do want to recommend that folks call in. I appreciate having other voices on the show. Usually we have guests. It's been slow with uh, guests lately on my part in terms of getting folks on the show. I definitely want to invite people to come on the show. I recognize Friday at noon. It's a bit difficult. Folks are also welcome to call in, though. 
Um, so 415-550-0511 is the number. You can also come by in person if you're able to. We're on the corner of 21st and Florida. The more voices we have, the better everything is for sure. So wanting to put that out there. And we're you know approaching the end of the year. I don't know if we'll do any best of, worst of the year wrap-ups. I, As far as preparations for the show goes, uh, sometimes there's more preparation than others. And I think having a, a year-round, uh, the end-of-the-year program, I don't know what that would involve necessarily. Um, so we'll see what's happening. I'm planning to be here next week as well and the week after. So we will see. Perhaps things will be drastically different uh, in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Things are constantly changing, and that can be a good thing. It can often be a really, really good and important thing, especially when people come together. There are lots of news stories I want to get to. I haven't quite pulled them up yet because today was one of those days. I'm sure we all have them. Uh, we don't uh, quite get as much prepared to as we would like ahead of time, but it doesn't mean I haven't been reading the stories throughout the week and not sobbing myself to sleep because I don't, I haven't done that in a minute, but more just oof, witnessing what's happening. And I think that's also really crucial is that there's so much that's happening and I understand the idea of feeling powerless and hopeless recognizing that these systems have been in place since before we were born and what it is going to take to dismantle them and not take part in them and also just create another world that we want to live in. So I do anti-ads on the show. So don't shop at Amazon or Whole Foods. That's a start. Try not to support businesses that exploit workers or harm the environment or are run by billionaire sociopaths. And I recognize that some folks might want to shop online because it's it's easier in some ways. And if you're or if you are able to go to a brick and mortar store, by all means, please. And also, how about just not consuming? I think that's a, really the end of <laughs> the end of it. If you if you want to buy someone a gift, how about buy it from an artist that you know, or a farmer, or someone directly, someone who's directly created it. And also, perhaps we can find other ways we can make things instead of buy things that would also help quite a bit i'm not a fan of the the holiday season it rubs me the wrong way i feel like there's a lot of it feels really fake to me this idea that oh let's be nice this time of year let's help people now and instead of why don't we always help people and also why don't we look to the root causes of why people need help in the first place <sighs> however it'll be <laughs> we'll we'll get we'll get through it again and i get there's some i'm sure there's some good things that happen because of it, uh, I'm sure there are. I will get to some news stories. I should pull them up first, though. That would be really helpful because I can't, I haven't memorized them. And there's also just this constant onslaught of news of what's happening, too. So it's really difficult to just to, to speak about what's happening. And it's also just a lot of atrocities. As a seven year old Guatemalan child was found dead, killed by the Border Patrol. And one of the many deaths that has happened and this is what happens when this idea of these these borders that someone, not us, decided to put in place and decided to militarize and, and patrol. For no fucking reason at all. I don't understand any arguments about trying to keep people safe when the folks causing us the most harm are the ones uh, in the current administration and also in previous administrations too. 
some of the folks uh, that we need to be protected from are folks who happen to be in law enforcement or right-wing terrorists who are the ones who go on their shooting rampages. Those are the folks who are causing the most harm. How about people who, the companies who pollute the environment? Speaking of polluting the environment, apparently the U.S. military is the top polluter of the environment. So, as far as keeping people safe, it's, we, we keep each other safe. It's not, not folks who have to wear a badge or are assigned to it. It's natural for humanity to keep one another safe and creating fucking fake ass borders and these ridiculous walls and jails and cages to put people in makes things worse, not better. (sighs) Yeah. And that's where we're at. And what do we do to dismantle that? Because witnessing it is (sighs) a lot. And also... Um, one can see what's happening. I can speak for myself. I can see what's happening. And if I don't do anything actively to disrupt it or to stop it, then how am I making things any better? And yes, it's one thing to point it out. We need to call it out. Name names of the folks who are causing this harm, of the ICE agents and the people who are just following orders, people who are calling for this to happen. I guess it's the folks at the top who are calling for this to happen who need to be stopped. So what's going to happen? How is that going to work out? And of course, there are plenty of folks who are already doing just that. And I constantly say it's the just really wanting to amplify the voices of the folks who are already doing the work and amplify the voices of people who are the most marginalized and who are impacted by the most. What we can do is we can share their words and follow their instructions in terms of what we can do to support them. (sighs) Speaking of which, this is one way that folks can participate. Uh, There's a citizenship clinic tonight and also a volunteer orientation tomorrow. And I received this email recently from CAIR care. Um, Since, Mid-October, groups of asylum seekers escaping violence and poverty have been traveling north from Central America. Instead of responding with compassion, President Fuckface, that's my word, not the email's word, uh, and I guess that there's a lot of, there have been a lot of President Fuckfaces in the history of the U.S., so I'm sorry if I'm not clear enough. The current one, we'll say. Uh, current President Fuckface has deployed thousands of troops, shot tear gas at children, and pursued policies to criminalize all who seek refuge. It's time for Congress to stop funding cruelty against immigrants. They have a petition that one can sign. And also, uh, there's a free citizenship clinic, which I'm going to read about. And that's happening tonight, which is Friday, December 14th, from 5 to 9 p.m. at MCA Aisha Hall. And that's I, excuse me, MCA. And it's uh, AISHA Hall, which is at 3003 Scott Boulevard in Santa Clara. The MCA Legal Clinic, uh, Council on American Islamic Relations, SFBA. Asian Americans Advancing Justice, Asian Law Caucus, and PARS Equality Center are co-sponsoring a citizenship workshop uh, for additional information or to register. They have a link, and I will also be sharing this link online, so that's helpful, because I can share the words right now, and it's helpful if you have a website to go to online where you can read more. Also, you can volunteer with um, CARE. 
And as a civil rights advocacy nonprofit, CARE SFBA is tasked with striving to protect and uphold our constitutional rights. Though the size of our task is large, we rely heavily on volunteers and interns to help make our goals a reality. If you're interested in helping out with CARE SFBA's work, we would more than welcome your participation and support. Volunteer opportunities with CARE SFBA include, but are not limited to, graphic design, videography, administrative and operations support, event planning support, Juma outreach, marketing and translation volunteer opportunities are flexible and available year-round to those who are 16 and older and to volunteer at c-a-i-r s-f-b-a please take the following steps and they have a link here and that's of a volunteer um orientation which has tomorrow saturday december 15th from 1 to 2 p.m at the care s-f-b-a office which is at 3160 dealer cruise boulevard suite 110 in santa clara they also have job opportunities as well including a senior civil rights attorney immigrants rights attorney development coordinator campaigns and community engagement manager and they also have a news digest as well lots of information so i am going to play another song by nancy wilson and in the meantime i'm going to look for a way to share this online and if you want to look online check out facebook um in uh, parenthetical uh, i know it's evil but we're still on facebook i know uh well there will be a, an alternative soon if i speak it aloud it'll happen right that's how it works uh in the meantime facebook.com forward slash weekly rev we post news stories there and links to things that we're talking about so folks can find more information so in a little bit, in the next couple minutes, I will have a link there for everyone who's interested in either volunteering or getting the word out, or if you know folks who might be interested in working with CARE. Lots of ways for folks to participate. There's just diversity of tactics. There's so many ways, and we have so many capabilities between us of fighting back and got to support folks who are already doing the work. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to, as I say that, I am going to have this song all ready to play. This is called You Don't Know How Glad I Am. My love has no beginning, my love has no end. No front or back My love won't bend I'm in the middle Lost in a spin Loving you Loving you And you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't I wish I were a poet, so I 
I wish I knew why I'm so in love with you. No one else in this world will do. Darling, please say. I were wise, I'd run away. But like a fool in love, I stay and pray you'll save your love for me. I can feel it, even when. Not here, can't conceal it. I really love you, my dear. And though I know no good can come from loving you, I can't do a thing. Oh, I'm so in love with you, so darling, help me, please. See on a fool like me. I know I'm lost, but still I plead. Darling, please save your love for me. You may have fun with the crowd, but for crying.
when he glances at his watch And it isn't late And you try hard to amuse him But he doesn't concentrate Just how plainly can he tell you Does he have to shout out loud Face it, girl Oh, yeah, it's over What's the use in hanging on Finally, slowly, slowly slips away Don't go along for the ride Keep some semblance of pride There's really nothing else you can do Well, the time has come, I know For our last goodbye Guess I'll have to go on living When it's easier to die Give me strength enough to take it Take it like a woman should weekly review that was nancy wilson and coming up next there's another event tomorrow that folks can please please support and or tell folks to support uh, especially folks in the la area southern california uh, there's a march for public education with utla on december 15th united teachers los angeles march for public education with utla on december 15th this uh, you can find if you go to californiaeducator.org can find the info there there's also an invite on facebook uh this is written by julian peoples and it was published on december 7th massive rally at grand park to show support for kids educators and public schools march for public education downtown los angeles saturday december 15th grand park at 10 a.m Grand Park in downtown Los Angeles will be filled to the brim on December 15th at 10 a.m. as UTLA leads a march in support of public schools and opportunity for all students. Supporters of public education from throughout the L.A. area are invited to stand with UTLA educators who are locked in an ongoing struggle to defend public schools from L.A. USD Superintendent Austin Bootner. Ooh. That's a name. And his desire to treat education like a business. Despite massive reserves, $1.86 billion, Bootner and LA Unified are dead set on continued cuts to neighborhood schools, which has led the district and UTLA down the path to a potential strike in January. 
much like the signs all over Los Angeles and nationwide proclaiming support for UTLA educators and strong neighborhood public schools, the December 15th March for Public Education will show Bootner and the school district that the people of Los Angeles stand with teachers in demanding the funding our students deserve. The 33,000 educators of UTLA are fighting for smaller class sizes, more nurses, counselors, psychologists, and librarians, less testing and more teaching, competitive wages, charter and co-location regulation, school safety, community schools, and support for families, and greater investment in adult, early, and bilingual education. And there's a graphic here, reduce class size now. LAUSD's class sizes are among the biggest in California. Students have a better chance to succeed with smaller classes. You don't have to wait until next weekend, which is tomorrow, uh, December 15th, uh, to support the march through... to, to, yeah, to support the march, though, UTLA is inviting teachers, students, local artists, and community members to join a three-day art build this weekend, I guess that was last weekend, uh, to create materials for the march. And so the build has already started, the art build, and my I just found out about this recently, so that's why I'm sharing it now. And you can stay tuned for latest news and updates on UTLA's homepage, and we are public schools, and the UTLA page is utla.net so they have a lot of information there um please do i uh i would imagine folks if you're not living in southern california you know folks who are it's important that educators and kids get uh, a good education yes yes great so that's something positive that's happening and there's the one sound effect when i hit the uh microphone stand Ooh. Okay. That brings me to another story that we'll share here. Oh, there's a, I'm clicking through. I open up a few tabs ahead of time and then sometimes it's just by chance. I click on one then I decide to read that story next. And other times I need to push them towards the later, later into the show. Ooh. And I like to have some kind of segue where, I mean, I do believe everything is connected. We're all humans here on this planet together and our actions affect others, etc. And also it's important to find patterns in history and with what's happening now and how we can support each other. And so this goes into also uh, workers' rights. So from Psychotherapy Notes, which is a page I hadn't uh, seen before, psychotherapynotes.com, there's an article that came out on December 12th written by Ben Caldwell, Why the Kaiser Mental Health Strike Matters. On Monday, roughly 4,000 mental health professionals employed by Kaiser Permanente in California uh, began a planned five-day strike. The therapists and nurses, who also walked out in solidarity, say they are protesting the massive and continued failure on Kaiser's part to provide adequate mental health care to its own patients. This strike is, in some ways, like other strikes you've heard about. While the therapists are highlighting client care issues, Kaiser itself notes that those therapists are also demanding better pay and working conditions. Common demands to strike common demands to strike over, but this strike is also deeply unusual in the mental health world. Even when therapists are in a union, strikes are very rare. For that reason, this strike is uniquely important. Kaiser's troubled history on mental health care. Just checking the 
volume levels here. Great. Okay. This problem is not new to Kaiser Permanente. The insurance giant was fined $4 million by California regulators in 2013 for its failure to meet with mental health patients on a timely basis. A systemic excuse me, a systemic, systematic failure that the National Union of Healthcare Workers argued led several patients to commit suicide. The union even developed a website, nomorekaisersuicides.org, to highlight the problem. That site was taken down after the battle ended, but it's referenced here, and they have a link. This time around, their URL is a bit more benign, kaiserdontdeny.org. At the time the fine was issued, Kaiser said they planned to fight it, but they ultimately backed off, paid the fine, and agreed to independent monitoring of their mental health system. A subsequent state report found several ongoing violations. Slow and, in- slow and inadequate solutions. According to Kaiser, they have been working to hire more mental health professionals into their system. They say they have hired more than 500 therapists since 2015, increasing their mental health staffing by more than 30%. The union says that pace of growth isn't even close to adequate, with clients sometimes still waiting six weeks between therapy appointments. Wow. According to the union, increases in mental health staffing have left Kaiser's ratio of full-time therapists to Kaiser members basically unchanged. One therapist for every 3,000 members. As part of the public messaging surrounding the strike, the union has shared several stories of patients harmed by their apparent lack lack of access to care through Kaiser. Kaiser's response to the strike. So far, Kaiser's response to the strike has only served to make clear why California needs healthcare reg- regulators. On the PR front, they've been intentionally misleading. Their official statement reads in part, it's particularly disheartening that the union leadership would call the strike during the holiday season when many of our patients with mental health needs may be at their most vulnerable. On a purely factual basis, any season at all is a season where many patients with mental health needs may be at their most vulnerable. They're correct, but this is also a blatant attempt to play into a public misconception that suicides spike around the holidays to make the therapists look like they're choosing to actively endanger patients. So we're clear, the suicide rate is lower in December than any other month of the year. Kaiser goes on in their statement to suggest that the union is being disingenuous in putting patient needs front and center during the strike. They argue that the union is actually fighting for higher wages when Kaiser already pays well, and that the union is seeking changes in performance metrics that would make therapists less available to their clients. So the therapists must be hypocrites, Kaiser appears to be implying, when they say they want more client care available. Before addressing that implication, a quick aside on danger to patients. I know some therapists who are generally supportive of the strike, but still have concerns about client care. It is, of course, possible to support the union's ideals while still acknowledging that this fight comes at a cost. Thankfully, if there's one place where both sides agree, it's that clients in crisis will still be served this week. Emergency psychiatric services remain available 24-7 to Kaiser members. Let's accept for a moment that Kaiser's factual statements about the negotiations are true, that the union is asking for higher wages and those performance metric changes that and that Kaiser already pays pretty well. The union still wins the argument. Kaiser has to pay well because Kaiser is well-known, at least among uh, the author's circle of associates, as an exceedingly terrible place for clinicians to work. Precisely because there aren't enough therapists there, the existing therapists have ridiculous caseloads. Part of Kaiser's response to the $4 million fine and subsequent violations has been to pile on to their existing staff. 
Kaiser told the Department of Managed Healthcare that it had been improving mental health care by access, uh, mental health care access by uh, increasing the hours for contract clinicians, canceling or reducing vacations of staff, and increasing the productivity of staff. In other words, increasing caseloads and making it harder to take time off. The union should be fighting to make the union should be fighting to make working at Kaiser suck less. That's part of why unions exist. Those changes and metrics the union is demanding make perfect sense if your group is trying to make Kaiser a better place to work. One piece that the union loves to highlight, while Kaiser doesn't respond to in this context, Kaiser as a whole has a cash reserve of more than $20 billion. Uh, excuse me. That sounds familiar. It's almost like we just read an article about uh, educators uh, working in a system where there is a, a very large cash reserve. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. <sighs> That's enough to, that some have questioned whether Kaiser, which is officially a consortium of for-profit and non-profit entities, should be stripped of any non-profit status. When Kaiser decries that union leadership's tactics, let's be clear about what those tactics are. Highlighting Kaiser's grossly inadequate mental health care, noting how much money Kaiser has available to solve the problem if they actually wanted to, and demanding a less burdensome work environment. As we've mentioned here previously, most therapists cannot unionize, so it's uncommon for mental health professionals to take collective actions like this. It's also rare for therapists as a group to push back so strongly against any perceived injustice. Here's at least some speculation as to why that is, and they have a link provided in the article. There are lots of workplaces for therapists that are troubled to the point of being potentially exploitative. We tend to pursue dialogue with those workplaces, even when they show no desire to change. That isn't always a wise choice. This strike is calling national attention to the inadequacies of Kaiser's system, including the specific harms done to patients. The union is using the powerful leverage at its disposal, not just attempting to impact public perception of Kaiser, but also risking Kaiser's ability to meet its legal mandates. Big picture. If Kaiser can't convince enough therapists to be part of its system of care, Kaiser shouldn't be allowed to sell health insurance. That link relates to federal plans sold under the Affordable Care Act. But most states, like California, require all insurance plans to cover mental health care, which includes having an adequate provider network to make such care available. The strike serves as a powerful expression of an important systemic principle. Sometimes to get positive change, you can't work co collaboratively with those in power. You have to let the car crash. The union here knows they have leverage, and they know that it isn't difficult to make the case that Kaiser's existing practices around mental health care are grossly inadequate. California's $4 million fine does not appear to mean much to a corporation with more than $20 billion in reserves. You can create systemic change in the ways you can. This is how a union does it. Without a union, there's no reason to believe that Kaiser would speed up improvements to their mental health care system. California's health care regulators and their associated fines appear to be more of an annoyance to Kaiser than a meaningful problem. So one other possible solution to end with here. 
If lawmakers are game, frame the penalties for violations of state law in terms of a company's reserves. $4 million isn't much to Kaiser. They can eat that as part of the cost of doing business. But 4% of its reserve? That would be a fine of $8 billion. That might more effectively move them into compliance. For therapists, seriously, if you can, unionize your workplace. Pay and benefits are likely to improve. It's true that most therapists cannot unionize, but your boss is not your friend, and they don't owe you a better place to work. For therapists, far too many work environments are toxic. Fighting that through a union may be the only way to make it better. Wow. Lots of food for thought there. And again, if you'd like to check out the article, please go to psychotherapynotes.com. And this article came out a few days ago and was written by Ben Caldwell, uh, Why the Kaiser Mental Health Strike Matters, published on December 12th, 2018. I think it's time for a music break. How does that sound, everyone? Uh, if there were folks here, if we had a live studio audience, I guess there'd be tissue, box of tissues around. Maybe, maybe we can have that sometime. A live studio audience, folks meet, organize, create posters for rallies. I, not a bad idea. Mutiny Radio, uh, feel free to come on by. Here's another song by Nancy Wilson, and we'll be back with more in a bit. I know you Don't know what I'm going through Standing here Looking at you Well, let me tell you that it Hurts so say you've been making out okay he's in love don't stand in his way but let me tell you up to you stay I'll do anything you want me to you loved me before please love me again I can't let you go back to her please don't go please don't
wish to visit all the very gay places Those come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life To get the feel of life Of jazz and cocktails The boys I knew had sad and sullen gray faces With destined gay traces That used to be there You could see where they'd been washed away By too many through the day Twelve o'clock days Then you came along with your siren song To tempt me to madness I thought for a while That your poignant smile Was tense with the sadness Have a great love for me I oh, yes I was wrong Again I was wrong Life Is lonely Again And only last year Everything Is awful again A trough full of hearts Could only be a ball A week A week in Paris Will ease the bite of it All I care is to smile Still burning inside my brain Romance is mush Stifling those who strive I live a lush life In some small dive And there I'll be Where I rot the rest of those whose lives are
Cause you're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you Pardon the way that I stare There's nothing else to compare The sight of you leaves me weak There are no words left to speak Oh, but if you feel like I feel Welcome back to the review. That was Nancy Wilson with Can't Take My Eyes Off You. And right now we'll provide uh, an air quality alert. Well, it's 54, which is moderate. It's in the yellow. We had some, due to the, the fires last month, uh, the air quality in the Bay Area was quite unhealthy all the way around. It was orange this morning for some reason. Not quite sure why, but now it's back down to the yellow, which is moderate. So I wanted to provide that. There's lots of apps and other sites online that you can find to read the air quality. Just wanted to let folks know if you happen to be sensitive to the air, uh, to be able to have a mask if you, to put on a mask if you're going outside. Right now it's moderate, so it's a bit healthier than it was earlier this morning. Okay, coming up next. <sighs> Deep sigh. People in positions of power causing harm to the planet. That's the perhaps the underlying theme of the show. And have to report on it. And a lot of this is not surprising if one knows history and how folks in positions of power act. It's also just so disturbing at the same time. This article came out recently. It's from The Guardian. Revealed FBI kept files on peaceful climate change protesters. Now... I would think even if they weren't peaceful climate change protesters, folks who want to protect the planet 
should be able to do whatever they want to make sure that we don't uh, destroy the planet. I feel like it's the fact that they're peaceful on top of that. That's an aside. That's my thinking. However, even peaceful climate change protesters get files kept on them by the FBI. A protest at a BP plant in Indiana landed three 60-something campaigners in a federal surveillance report documents released to The Guardian under the Freedom of Information Act show. And again, the history of the FBI uh, monitoring folks in the civil rights movement, many folks throughout who wish to make the world a better place. It's of no surprise that they are also have monitored folks looking to fight climate change. This is written by Adam Fetterman, and it came out on Thursday, December 13th. On May 15th, 2016, three friends from Fairfield, Iowa, made the five-hour drive to an oil refinery on the shores of Lake Michigan to participate in what was a part of a series of protests and acts of civil disobedience in the fight against climate change. They had every intention of getting arrested. What they didn't expect was to end up in an FBI file for taking part in a peaceful protest. But according to documents obtained by The Guardian through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, the file on the Iowa protesters was part of a larger effort by the FBI to assess the danger posed by the climate change activist group 350.org in the run-up to a series of actions that were part of the Break Free from Fossil Fuels campaign. The FBI released seven pages and withheld 25. Though there is no evidence the FBI has opened an investigation into 350.org, one of the documents cataloged as part of a related domestic terrorism case. Wow. 350.org are referenced in multiple investigations and assessments for their planned protests and disruptions. The file also makes an apparent reference to the 350.org founder, Bill McKibben. And then they have the document here, which is shared in the article. McKibben who had been the subject of both right-wing surveillance and disturbing online death threats, said the FBI's apparent failure to distinguish between nonviolent civil civil disobedience and domestic terrorism was contemptible. Trying to deal with the greatest with the greatest crisis humans have stumbled into shouldn't require being subjected to government surveillance, McKibben said. But when much of our government acts as a subsidiary of the fossil fuel industry, it may be par for the course. The FBI is prohibited from investigating groups or individuals solely for their political beliefs, <laughs> but has been criticized in the past for, cre- for treating nonviolent civil disobedience as a form of terrorism. In 2010, the Office of the Inspector General released a report detailing how the FBI, particularly in the post-9-11 era, had inappropriately tracked activist groups such as Greenpeace and the Catholic Worker for engaging in nonviolent protest. The Break Free campaign took place over the course of a two-week period in May 2016 and included protests and acts of nonviolent direct action on six continents. More than 30,000 people participated and dozens were arrested for trespassing and blocking rail access to refineries in what was described by the organizers as the largest coordinated act of civil disobedience in the fight against climate change. The May 15th protest in Whiting, Indiana, involved about 1,000 protesters who marched to the BP refinery, one of the largest processors of crude oil in the country. When they reached the entrance, 41 of the protesters gathered in a circle on BP property and sang a protest chant. For Jonas Magrum, Tom Christofak, and Inga Frick, 
All in their mid to late 60s, it was the first time they had ever been arrested. Frick, who was 67, said she was an unlikely activist but felt compelled to participate because of the urgency of addressing climate change. I think that by far the most important thing that's not happening in the world is not dealing with this, she said. Magram, who is a part-time math teacher and turned 70 this week, was one of the organizers of No Bacon Here, and that's B-A-K-K-E-N, uh, an Iowa-based activist group that, compa- that campaigned against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Part of the pipeline runs through Jefferson County, Iowa, which includes the small city of Fairfield. The file referencing the three Fairfield residents were, was drafted by the Omaha FBI field office, which oversees all of Nebraska and Iowa. Though their names are redacted, Magram, Kristofak, and Frick were the only Fairfield residents arrested in Whiting during the protest, according to Kristofak. Kristofiak? It's a last name. My apologies. The subject of the file identifies the larger investigation or assessment as a sensitive investigative matter, which often refers to cases that involve political organizations and therefore require a higher level of scrutiny from the FBI. In 2015, The Guardian revealed that the FBI had violated its own rules by failing to acquire the necessary approval to open an investigation into activists in Texas campaigning against the Keystone XL pipeline. That investigation went on for more than a year and swept up numerous activists, including one who later learned he was on a U.S. government watch list for domestic flights. Nebraska has been at the center of efforts to block construction of the Keystone XL pipeline, which activists and ranchers fear could threaten the Ogallala Aquifer, one of the largest underground freshwater sources in the world. Now that the Keystone XL pipeline is again on the table, fuckface45... (laughs) my words, not the words in the article, reversed the Obama-era decision to block the pipeline. Activists have pledged to engage in nonviolent civil disobedience if necessary. According to public records obtained by the ACLU, law enforcement is already coordinating efforts to crack down on pipeline protesters. Magram said he wasn't surprised to learn that he had been swept up in an FBI file, but still found the implications disturbing. It's very, very troubling that those of us who are committed to protecting life on our planet through peaceful protest would be regarded as suspected enemies of the state, he said. Mike German, a former FBI agent and fellow with the Brennan Center, said the FBI's tracking of the Iowa residents' arrests in Indiana was striking. The fact that the FBI is tracking civil disobedience arrests and logging that information into FBI files is quite troubling, he said. Absent intelligence... Those two words, absent intelligence. Yep, I'll I'll finish the sentence, though. Absent intelligence indicating a planned act of violence, German said there was little justification for creating such a file on individual activists, and this was precisely what the 2010 IG report warned against. The FBI's Los Angeles field office did not respond to detailed questions about the files. Reached by phone... A spokesperson said, I'm assuming the document speaks for itself if it, is, if it was released under FOIA, FOIA. The FBI's Omaha field office did not respond to calls or emails. Based on the documents released, the FBI inquiry into 350.org's planning around the Break Free campaign began with a request from the Bureau's Los Angeles field office for information on the upcoming events. The FBI appears to have relied mostly on open source material in its description of the protests, including a webinar hosted by 350.org on April 6th. 
The file, dated May 13th, includes a detailed description of the planned protest in L.A., which took place the following day. The FBI also noted that participants were encouraged to bring signs, bullhorns, musical instruments, snacks, food, and water, and that pro- promotional materials had sought volunteers willing to engage in civil, civil disobedience and risk arrest to block access to ports or to stop the bomb trains. There were no arrests in Los Angeles. The Omaha FBI file described the action in Indiana as a mostly peaceful protest that ended in arrests after a small group of activists broke away from the main group, blocked traffic, and trespassed. But Christofiak disputed the FBI's characterization of the day's events. Because the march was permitted, law enforcement officials blocked off streets for about three miles and were in frequent contact with the organizers. Christofiak said there was no traffic to block. Roy Dominguez, an attorney and the former sheriff of Lake County, which includes Whiting, uh, negotiated on behalf of the protesters and said there were no disruptions. Some of the law enforcement officers even expressed their support for the protesters, Inga Frick said. German says the demonization of protest groups such as 350.org engaging in nonviolent direct action has helped to fuel a militant police reaction such as u- the use of water cannons and rubber bullets at Standing Rock. It creates a cycle where the drumbeat of warning about potential danger from these things leads to a certain kind of response that increases the police violence that occurs at these protests, Sherman said. Whew. All right. So that's the end of the article. And our writer, Adam Fetterman, is a reporting fellow with the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute. And again, you can find this article at theguardian.com. And the article also includes uh, photos as well as copies of the document. So you can read the the documents themselves. And again, it came out on Thursday, December 13th. And the title revealed FBI kept files on peaceful climate change protesters. I think it's time for a music break. (sighs) Okay. I've got some more Nancy Wilson And this song is called Did I Remember? And that was all I knew 
weekly review that was nancy wilson with all night long you're listening to mutiny radio if you would like to listen to more shows at mutiny radio you can because there's a lot if you go to mutinyradio.fm if you're not there already check out our whole list of shows there are shows here every day of the week there's comedy shows there's music shows there's news and politics there's educational shows many are any combination of the topics i just mentioned also, if you're interested in having a show here of your own, that's totally possible. If you go to mutinyradio.fm and contact Pam, all you have to do is get trained here, pay monthly dues, and you get two hours a week to do any type of program you want. It's really great. It's a free speech environment. It's uncensored, which is awesome. So we can say things like, fuck the police if we want to. Uh, I don't know why there was a question mark at the end of it. Some nervousness on my part, perhaps, even though I've said that many times before on the air. It's important though to be able to hold those in power accountable putting that out there in the universe so if you would like a show come by mutiny radio check it out also uh the station pretty much runs on our on the dues we pay and on donations so if you have a few bucks lying around i know it's times are really difficult for everyone late stage capitalism what are you gonna do if you happen to help keep our doors open, you can contribute directly to Mutiny Radio, uh, having a show here. You can also rent space here. And if you happen to, I don't want to say if you like what you hear on this program, because I don't like what I hear on this program, because I'm like, oh, gosh, humans are really awful. However, uh, if you would like to support the show in any way, please do help spread the word. And we have a Patreon set up. Much thanks to all the folks who donate. Anywhere from a dollar a month and more keeps us going. The first hundred bucks we raise a month goes directly to the dues. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Again, anything helps. I, I feel it's important to be able to provide independent news and non-corporate news, etc., etc., and ideas that go against a lot of what the mainstream media says and also who they decide to focus on, especially with all their fucking victim blaming bullshit. And I know there's a lot of folks out there who do this, who do similar things. And the more of us there are out there stating the truth, uh, the better off we'll all be. So yeah, that's a plug. I don't do marketing. I don't, uh, you know, if you're able to, that's great. I just appreciate also, I think a big thing that folks can do is also have conversations with people. Also get to know your neighbors. That's a big thing. When folks say, hey, don't call the police. There are other ways we can handle things. One important thing is to get to know the people that you live around, get to know people you work with, et cetera, et cetera. I'm more of an introvert. It's harder for me to get out and talk to folks. However, if I'm able to make a connection with, pe- with people, I always feel better because of it, because there's more of us, <sighs> there's more of us together here than the folks in positions of power. And if we can unite, if we can not just collectively bargain in our workplaces, but if we can learn how to work together to share and to settle our, our, settle our differences among <laughs> each other 
instead of uh, getting law enforcement involved, for instance, there will be better off and it's totally possible. So yeah, talk to, talk to your neighbors if you can get to know each other. It's totally doable. And outside I see Global Val who'll be coming in to host the next two shows Women's Magazine with Global Val and the Common Thread Collective with Global Val and Diamond Dave. Common Thread Collective is a great show. Women's Magazine is a great show. At Common Thread, which goes on from 3 to 6, you can come in, you can read poetry, share your music. It's a, an open mic of sorts, totally free. Come in. Uh, it's great. Those are some plugs for you. And now that I've talked about some great things that are happening, how about some lots of great things that are happening, like Internet Gatekeepers? This article came up on Mashable.com. Internet gatekeepers block sex ed content because algorithms think they're porn. This article came out very recently. I'm looking for the the byline here so I can share that. Yes, it was written by Rebecca Ruiz and it came out two days ago, which would be December 12th. The internet has changed how kids learn about sex, but sex ed in the classroom still sucks. In Sex Ed 2.0, Mashable explores the state of sex ed and imagines a future where digital innovations are used to teach consent, sex positivity, respect, and responsibility. The algorithms that drive products like YouTube, Facebook, and Apple's iOS software share a common challenge. They can't seem to consistently distinguish between pornography and sexual and reproductive health content. That's because the code engineered to prevent adult, and adult is in quotation marks, material from popping up in your timeline or search results can also easily block educational content meant to offer internet users candid, factual information about sex, sexuality, and health. Critics say the algorithmic confusion may reflect lazy engineering and tech's infamous diversity problem. When the engineers who write code meant to push nudity or porn to the web's margins don't understand, oh, we have a call. Mutiny Radio. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering if you had time to play. Um, we can talk. Hi, Gail. You know who it is, huh? It's Gail, yes. You're the most frequent caller to this show. I mean, how come? Um, I think a lot of folks aren't able to call. I guess, or maybe the news is too sad for people to really comment on. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you got to publicize yourself more. That's very true. I probably should. And maybe you can go on the computer and do those free sites where you say, hey, listen to this podcast. Yeah. I mean, don't spend no money. Mm-hmm. I understand, but I don't do much with computers. But be sure you don't get suckered. Yes. Because as I understand, a lot of times they say this service is free. And they end up giving you a, a whack. Yeah. Saying, now you owe money. Yeah. So you got because I'm not computer savvy at all. Mm-hmm. But if there is a truly a free website where you can advertise your radio show, do it that way. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, how many viewers do you have? We had about 12,000 downloads last month. I don't mean view. I mean listeners. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't learn. I don't know this idea. What I do is, I just gather information. I got a big ears and a big mouth, mm-hmm. and I just see what other people do, and I that's how I find a lot of information out. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't my idea about this. I found out that's what you do, but you got because I don't want you saying, hey, look, I got this big bill, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. No, you be sure it's free. Yes. You know, like one time a guy made a bet, 
he lost a hundred dollars. He bet it was something I would do, uh-huh. and it didn't turn out. And who did he blame? Who was he mad at? He was mad at you. He was mad at me. Yes. I didn't tell him to make no bet. Yes. I, I mean, making bets are for suckers anyway. <laughs> yeah. But when you lose, don't point the finger at anyone else. Suck it up mm-hmm. and admit that it was your fault. You made a bet. It's no one else's fault if you lose. Yeah. If you can't be adult enough to do that, then don't bet. Yeah. So what are you doing over there? Well, I was in the middle of an article about how the algorithms, the tech algorithms, are not able to distinguish between sex ed and pornography. Hold on, I hear them. I must be going deaf. I'm going to put you on speaker. Uh, hold on, hold on. Now, tell me, what were you doing? I was reading an article about algorithms are unable to distinguish between uh, websites and information about sex ed versus pornography. So what does that all mean? It means that I there, told you I don't know much about computers. Sure. It means that there can be content that people create that's for about sex ed and reproductive rights that's really helpful and educational. And then there can be content that's more for adults and the algorithms don't know what's what, so they end up blocking everything instead of perhaps just allowing things that are really helpful. Well, what gets me is these computer-generalized voices, they screw up a lot of times. I don't understand what you're saying. And I still say, I think when I get snippy with them, their voice is marking me, even though it's only a computer voice. Mm -hmm. So what excitement are you having at the old mutiny radio? Well, I'm mostly here on Fridays. Today we've got Women's Magazine coming up at 2 and the Common Thread Collective coming up at 3. Don't you do anything on YouTube or stuff like that? No, I, I haven't in a very long time. I think YouTube, I'm not sure, but I know one of the things, it might have been YouTube or it might have been something else. I, it might have even been, I don't know, but one of those big things that are big today, they started out as a dating service. Oh, interesting. You could look it up. I forget if it was YouTube or um, something or other. But one of these big things that went big, mm-hmm. they started out as a dating service. Oh. But then they went off into uh, selling stuff or whatever they do. Yeah, that happens to a lot of companies. You. You probably can Google it and see what one what it was, mm-hmm. um, if you're that interested. But anyway, you know, I'm always trying to encourage people to become famous. Because uh. I figure maybe if they become famous, they can drag me along. <laughs> sure. Like if you get famous and do videos and you get money, maybe you can put me in some videos, you see? I was trying to make my point with Robin Williams. Oh. Because one time he came to Dirty Tricks. Mm. You're familiar with Dirty Tricks, aren't you? Yeah, I went there once or twice. All right, because they invited him to come and perform. Uh-huh. And one week he showed up and was socializing. I didn't go. The next week he came, and he was on stage, and I was videoing him. And, you know, he had a reputation of being nice. Yes. He didn't say, hey, <laughs> stop that. He just said, who is that? And they say, hey, that's Sweet Gale. Yeah. And I said, I wasn't sweet. <laughs> you see? I was, I didn't say it was going to work out. Yeah. But I was going to figure and see if I can promote myself and him recognizing me and maybe somehow getting me into the movies. Yeah. 
but unfortunately he died. No, because I ran into this guy with this background and a lot of things in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they were on a movie set once with his friend. And they took this guy's friend. It was a Robin Williams movie. And they took him out from background or whatever. I think they made him play a security guard. And they gave him lines. They gave him a dialogue coach and everything. Wow. See, so, yeah. I'm still trying to hit the big time and get some of that moolah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. But what gets me is a lot of, not only actors and stuff, but sports figures, their money's rolling in and they end up broke. Yeah. I mean, that's too bad. Yeah. I mean, well, and. In an in an in an ideal world, everyone would have enough to cover their bases. Everyone would have housing and healthcare and food. I'd rather have you know everyone have enough than anyone have too much. Yes, but human beings are not that way. You know, I'm all upset because I tried to win that one point six light billion dollars, and the way I figure it, I get it. No one collected it yet. One ticket, one in Carolina, and the last I heard, no one came forward and collected it. Mm-hmm. Almost two billion dollars, and no one collected it. Yeah, isn't that nice? <laughs> I'm pretty wee weed over that. Yeah, so I wanted that money bad. Yeah, and try to overcome it. I know you say we shouldn't have money and all that. Well, and don't get mad at me because I just. Want money. Sure. No, I feel like everyone should have their basic needs met. There should be an, an equal distribution of wealth. Well, not with our little government. Our little government got to take the, the food stamps away from the people that are hardly eating. Yeah, which is really messed up. So the politicians going to have big lobster and steak dinner. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's really I messed mean, up. It kills me. The politicians, I have never heard of one of them standing up and say... No, I do not want premium health care. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going to take health care that poor people got. Yeah. I never heard one of them say that. Yeah. You know, and they're always pissing on the poor people. Food stamps, this and that. But how much money do they waste flying that jet around the president? Exactly. That's very so true. spread love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what kind of love I'm talking about? I'm talking about the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. I mean, the politicians are always, oh, the food stamps, the, the social programs. What do they eat when they go to those state dinners and and meetings and everything? Right. They I spend, like to see what they're eating. They spend more a night than most folks make uh, that are available for food stamps in a month for a family. Yeah, but they take the fast money. A lot of times they, uh, sometimes they get caught like that guy with the, what, the $34,000 dining room table? Hmm. Um, and some aide or something told him, as I understand, that you can't spend more than $5,000. I mean, some, I don't know, someone in the office told whatever, saying you can't spend that much money. You know, the limit is 5000 And the way I heard it, they were kind of reprimanding the person for opening their mouth. So the end of that story was they had him up on Capitol Hill, wherever they go, and they were questioning him. Uh-huh. And it turns out somehow he blamed the wife. <laughs> somehow the wife was responsible. Of course. That goes back to what you were saying. That goes back to what you were saying before about the person who lost a bet, and then they blamed you. 
wife if you can't blame her for things. Ugh, gosh. Because that's what some husbands do. Ugh. I don't know the whole story, but somehow the wife was responsible for the dining room table. Ugh. <laughs> hey, human beings, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> human beings, you know. Yeah. We're animals, too. People keep forgetting that. Just because we put clothes on and play with computers, <laughs> we're still animals. <laughs> I'm going to go. Okay, and thanks. see about becoming famous and pissing on me, and Okay, I'll do what I can, Gail. All right, bye. Take care. Thanks this week, Gail, for calling in, most frequent caller on the show. And also, happy to report the air quality now is at 33, which said back in the green. So breathe up that great air, everyone. I'm going to continue on with reading the article that uh, we just started. Again, this is from Mashable, written by Rebecca Ruiz, and it came out two days ago. Internet gatekeepers block sex ed content because algorithms think they're porn. I was only a couple of paragraphs in, and I'll start off close to the beginning again. The algorithms that drive products like YouTube, Facebook, and Apple's iOS software share a common challenge. They can't seem to consistently distinguish between pornography and sexual and reproductive health content. That's because the code engineered to prevent adult material from popping up in your timeline or search results can also easily block educational content meant to offer internet users candid, factual information excuse me, about sex, sexuality, and health. Critics say the algorithmic confusion may reflect lazy engineering and tech's infamous diversity program. I mean, sorry, problem. The tech doesn't really have a diversity program that I'm aware of. Uh, their infamous diversity problem. When the engineers who write code meant to push nudity or porn to the web's margins don't understand... Oh, um, or care about the importance of accessing sexual and reproductive health content, especially for LGBTQ youth and other users who have been historically marginalized online, of course algorithms will block the wildest possible swath of content. Critics also believe a straightforward solution to this problem exists, but say tech companies aren't interested in addressing their concerns. The online sexual health company O.School reported in October how the iPhone's new software, with the parental control settling enabled, blocked not just its website, but numerous entertainment sites and health resources for teens and adolescents. While the filter restricted sites like Teen Vogue oh, and Scarletine, it didn't deny users access to websites like the neo Nazi Daily Stormer or the anti gay Westboro Baptist Church. <sighs> that shocking contrast convinced O.School founder Andrea Baraka that Apple's algorithm might just be blocking certain certain terms like teen who uh, like teen comma wholesale in order to prevent any clicks that might possibly send a user to prohibited content, i.e., teen porn. Yet Baraka couldn't confirm or dispel her suspicions or learn anything about Apple's algorithm. Baraka used her own network to search, excuse me, to reach Apple employees with hopes of discussing the situation, but was met with silence. Then she published a blog post entitled Censorship and Sex Ed with pointed questions for Apple. Who designed the filter? Were parents consulted? Conservatives and religious groups? Doctors and sex educators? What non-porn sites are being blocked? She never heard from Apple. The company did not comment to Mashable about its algorithms or Baraka's post. 
They're writing the policies in the most conservative way to avoid the problem. They're not targeting sex ed. They're writing the policies in the most conservative way to avoid the problem, claims Barica. Apple's conservative views on sexuality have so many far-reaching effects. Barca isn't the only one who's written an open letter to the platform controlling whether her company's content is seen online. In May 2017, a writer for the menstrual tracking app Clue detailed in a blog post how Facebook blocked the company's ads boosting its sexual and reproductive health content. Educational illustrations that featured vulvas, breasts, and penises were blocked. Ads to promote posts about underwear, birth stories, and puberty advice were also rejected. A representative for Clue said that while the company declined to comment on the issue, the company stood by, a, by its 2017 post. A spokesperson for Facebook said Clue's ads ran afoul of its advertising policies restrictions on quote-unquote adult content that, among other things, forbids ads that include nudity or images focused on individual body parts. Facebook's advertising policies are applied globally and are stricter than its community standards. Clue continues to publish content and advertise on Facebook. Amaze, a sex ed video series for adolescents and teens, has faced a similar problem on YouTube. Since its channel launched nearly three years ago, several of its 84 videos have been rejected for advertising because they were deemed to be adult content. Those include videos about female and male biological anatomy. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I have a piece in my mind about mentioning the binaryism of this statement, but I will continue to read. Uh, YouTube advertising is critical to our work at Amaze because it allows us to reach young people all over the world who are searching for guidance around sex, mental health, and more. Lincoln Mondi, a spokesperson for Amaze, said in an email, Though Amaze is not considered adult content, its videos do include accurate depictions of genitalia and discussions of sexual health. That forthrightness, which is sometimes graphic, could be perceived as an algorithm and human reviewer as violating the platform's policy against advertising adult content that's quote-unquote non-family safe. YouTube declined to comment on the policies and practices that inform its algorithm. And they have a video here. Um, I might play that a little bit later. Tech companies might argue that their algorithms are actually working as designed by flagging content that violates its policies. Yet, in fact, that, for example, a benign illustration of a breast in an educational context is deemed objectionable gets at a bigger issue. Part of the challenge facing engineers and tech companies is the reality that sexual health material produced for the internet today is often free of the stigma and shame traditionally associated with talking about sex. Instead of staid explainers that use vague terms and descript descriptions, this new generation of content asks and answers potentially embarrassing questions, sensitively addresses the diverse concerns of marginalized readers, and is unafraid to uh, use accurate depictions of genitalia, making what once were awkward conversations sound pretty fun along the way. So, engineers who aren't paying attention to this trend or don't even realize it's happening, are likely to write code that assumes most explicit words or images that appear on the internet are most likely a gateway to porn. One of the dynamics is that they're not thinking about this as a case at all, says John Pincus, a software engineer and entrepreneur who is an advisor to O.School. 
Whether it's lazy or overly simplified, my guess is that they're not actually trying to measure if they're letting legitimate sexual and reproductive health stuff in while keeping other stuff out. Pincus says designing algorithms that perform substantially better than they do wouldn't be hard. Engineers and the companies that employ them could embrace fairness, accountability, and transparency as guiding principles, particularly because the availability of accurate sex ed information online is a public health issue. Ideally, companies using machine learning algorithms would train them with words, images, and descriptions of valid sexual and reproductive health information they want to accept, as well as the adult content or pornography they want to reject. Beyond their philosophical approach, Pincus says tech companies could invite sexual and reproductive health experts to provide feedback on how algorithms are designed or even hire them to consult. Pincus says that's common practice in the industry when there are no subject matter experts on staff. Mondi of Amaze agrees with such, a, such an approach. To us, the only solution involves an intentional partnership between tech giants and sexual health experts when they're creating algorithms and content blockers, he said. Tech giants aren't sexual health experts and shouldn't make such consequential decisions on what is and what isn't age-appropriate when it comes to online information. Those companies, however, are reluctant to surrender that power and give outsiders influence over their product. When Tumblr announced last week that it would ban adult content, a spokesperson for the company declined to explain the criteria by which its algorithms and human reviewers would distinguish sex ed from nudity or porn, but instead noted that health-related situations would still be allowed on the platform. Though the resistance to transparency makes sense given the ruthless competition in Silicon Valley, Baraka believes tech companies have no incentive to endanger major advertising or a spot in Apple's app store by writing more nuanced algorithms that could maximize access to sexual and reproductive health information, but potentially let pornographic content slip through the cracks. It's really fear-based, she says. It goes back to lack of inclusion and diversity and back to stigma. There's so much power to control what people do and don't see. Wow. So if you'd like to check out this article again, it's at Mashable. If you go to Mashable.com. And again, this came out a couple days ago and was written by Rebecca Ruiz. All right. It's 143. We're going to take a brief music break and we'll be wrapping up the show in a little bit. Coming up next at 2 p.m. is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. And next we have another song by Nancy Wilson, Never Let Me Go. too much If you let me go Life would lose its touch What would I be without you There's no place for me without you
bridges burned by my flaming heart You'd never leave me, would you? You couldn't hurt me, could you? Never let me go Never let me go Welcome back to the show. We are wrapping up here. Got a couple more things before we head out. Do want to mention a great website and resource to check out, and that's incarceratedworkers.org. It's the home of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, where you can read news and updates from folks who are incarcerated and how folks organize on the inside. Uh, there also are ways that folks can help support folks, uh, including phone zaps and calling and emailing attorney generals and other directors of institutions to uh, call in support of folks who are incarcerated. There is a, a person by the name of uh, Jason Walker who has reported on the continuing attempts by staff to frame him for an incident in which he was beaten. And there's a whole, there's a lot more to get to. Unfortunately, we don't have the time right now. Uh, but if you do go to incarceratedworkers.org, uh, Jason has written quite a bit. And there are folks that you can contact on behalf of Jason. Um, to, uh, it says, introduction, Jason is urgently requesting help in beating this attempted frame-up. Below is a suggested script that you can use to make complaints to the TDCJ um, ombudsman, as well as the LS Unit Warden Kelly Strong, regional director, and other folks as well. And there's much more information. If you check out the website, again, incarceratedworkers.org, check out under news. There's articles, and that will provide much more of a context to what I'm talking about here. But I also want to provide other ways that folks can show up for people. <sighs> lots of There's lots of ways here. So there's a script that you can uh, call in, as well as the, the backstory as well. So please do check that out. And I also want to promote an event that's happening in January. On January 27th, there is the History of Prisons in California, which is happening at Manny's. And again, that's Sunday, January 27th, 2019, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Manny's, which is at 3092 16th Street in San Francisco. And we'll also be... Uh, speaking more about that as the date approaches. I'll read a little bit about this event. California's prison system started off as privately run, barge anchored in the Bay, and was embroiled in corruption, political scandal, and violence. Since then, our system has grown to incarcerate more people than the population of Berkeley. Prisons represent the power of the state in its most raw and basic form, and 167 years later, Californians are still confronting the same fundamental questions. Why do we incarcerate people? What happens when they leave? And can we do better? 
Jared Rudolph is an attorney at the San Francisco Office of the Public Defender and the founder of Prison Reentry Network, which you can find at prisonreentrynetwork.org, a nonprofit that supports successful transitions from incarceration to the community. So again, this event will be happening on January 27th, 2019, the history of prisons in California. And I'll be speaking more about that uh, in January. So coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val. We will have another song by Nancy Wilson to close out the show. This is called When October Goes. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week. I should be over it now, I know It doesn't matter much how old I grow I hate to see October
tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryan. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good special happy hour prices all night long with your mutiny radio comedy festival ticket march 1st through 5th check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com come take a seat i had a date there and it did not go well but it wasn't the fault of the place they're very nice asiento For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF.
Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. <laughs> All so, on my limited view. Yes. Every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. And Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God. There's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes. You can also find us on social media. M as in Mary. L as in Larry. P as in Peter. Podcast MOV Podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls. Good evening, there, my friends. Here at MutinyRadio.fm, Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics, it's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for me fun. every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be 
Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this 